It's the Ag Ship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn, creator of the Ag Ship, a credentialed newsletter covering Utah State football, men's and women's basketball. Uh, you can subscribe at www.theagship.com. It's $6 a month for the standard tier and then 10 for the film story tier, the football film breakdowns, basketball film breakdowns. I did it right that time. I did the intro right. I didn't talk over uh, things that I was trying to say. I got the idea across. We're getting better. We're watching the tape. We're improving. Parker, what's up, man? What's up, man? Yeah, you nailed it. We're definitely getting those week one, week two jitters out of the way. Uh, you nailed that intro. So I <laughs> they, they used to be feeling good. Yeah, yep. they, they say the biggest improvement of the season is between week one and two. Between week one and two, this podcast, I have uh, successfully learned what my own intro is that I've been saying for a year and a half now. So uh, yep. we're, we're getting better midseason form. Uh, we have a, uh, a historic win to talk about for Utah State, 78-28 over Idaho State, highest scoring game for Utah State since 1919, when it also beat Idaho State. I don't know what Utah State uh, has against Idaho State, but that was a 136-0 to win, and this one was not quite as extensive, but uh, we're going to talk through it as best we can, only so much you can really take from this sort of game, but... Uh, we'll give it the attention that it deserves, and we're also going to, before we do that, uh, run down the Mountain West, as we do on these shows, on these recap shows. Um, Parker, where do you want to start here with the with the uh, the conference? Uh, yeah, let's go through, um, let's just read through all these scores, and then there's definitely a couple games that I want to talk about. Mm. It's probably the same games that you want to talk about, um, but we do have right here, I think this is all, all the games right here, UCF beating Boise State 18-16. to UCLA over San Diego State, 35 to 10. Michigan beating UNLV, 35 to 7. Fresno State beating Eastern Washington, 34 to 31 in double overtime. Ooh. Idaho beating Nevada, 33 to 6. And Air Force, 13 to Sam Houston's 3, kind of like what you were expecting mm-hmm. there. And then Hawaii takes care of business, 31 to 20 against Albany. Yeah, um, there are uh, there are a couple others in here that I did not include in the list because I don't know that we would have a whole lot to say about Wyoming 31, Portland State 17, San Jose State 59, Cal Poly 3, um, or uh, New Mexico 56, Tennessee Tech 10, other than good job. You, you did what you were supposed to do. I think that's about all I would have on any of those games. Yeah, no, that, that's right. You left off the ones that we really don't have a lot to go off of yeah. uh, or, or a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, well done. Gold star did your job yep. moving on. Let's talk about some of these other ones. Uh, where do you want to start on that list? Um, that, that I read, let's go to UCF Boise state. Let's go up to Boise. Let's do it. Uh, UCF yep. 18 Boise state 16. Um, UCF's kicker. I don't know his first name, but his last name is boomer, which is a really good name for a kicker. Um, he did just that delivers a 40 yard field goal as time expires to win the game for UCF. Uh, Boise State now 0-2. I should have checked to see when the last time that happened was. Um, I would imagine it has been a minute since Boise State has started a season 0-2. Um, I, I think even with the loss, this was better from Boise State. We talked about this before the game, that they were pretty heavy underdogs coming in after their performance against Washington. The defense looked much more competent here. I think it also got uh, pretty lucky, as, as I'm going to talk about as we get into this game a little bit further. But uh, they they were close against a team that is, I don't know if UCF is ranked, but they're on the border of being ranked. They're on the border of being a top 25 team. Pretty good offense. Um, Boise State's offense is a different story outside of Ashton, Ashton Ginty, who is tremendous. Um, but uh, it's a loss. It's another loss for Boise State. 
it has been a, a pretty rough start to the season here for Andy Avalos, uh, as we as we talked about last week and as we're now talking about again. Yeah, it, it is a loss, but if there's such thing as a good loss, I mean, it, it was at least kind of a return to maybe preseason expectations, which you know isn't maybe where you where Boise State wanted to be at this point in the season. But you mentioned it on the show last week as we as we prepared for this weekend. Before the season, Boise State was about a two-point underdog, and after week one, that blew up to I can't remember what you said. It, it was it was uh, like sixteen points. It was ext- right. Yeah, it was extensive. It was a big difference. Right. And so to return to that kind of two-point underdog range is honestly not the worst thing in the world. Obviously, Boise State doesn't want to be zero and two right now. Like you said, I don't know. I I don't know off the top of my head when the last time that happened was. It doesn't happen often. This is not a program that's used to. Uh, going 0-2, starting the season 0-2, but kind of kind of nice to just wipe that week one off the board and just kind of forget about that and get back to where you're at least supposed to be and where the expectations were. Yeah, it, it definitely, if you're Boise State, I think that you feel better coming out of this one than you did out of the last one. To lose on a last-second field goal is, is obviously mm-hmm. uh, disappointing for them. I think that this is a game that they uh, could have won, probably should have won, uh, you know, you you allow a late score like that, obviously, it's always going to be frustrating. Um, but then you also look at the way that this game was played, and you see uh, I, uh, some <laughs> things that are still a little bit troubling to me uh, on, the, on the Boise State side of things. Specifically here, uh, UCF gained, let me see, 530 total yards of offense and produced 18 points from that, largely because it had a 33% uh, success rate on third down and a 17% success rate in the red zone. Um, UCF was was better here by a pretty good deal. Um, it just it suffered three turnovers, and it did not really take advantage of its scoring opportunities. I believe that kicker had four field goals on the game. Um, and so, you know, Boise State missed some opportunities as well. It had a 0% success rate in the run, in the red zone, which is not what you want, but it, it does seem like kind of a missed opportunity in a game that UCF didn't play especially well in, and Boise State doesn't take advantage with a win. I'm sure both teams are sitting there thinking that they, uh, they left a lot on the table. Uh, UCF wasn't at the top of their game. They could have made this very, very ugly. And the fact that they were not on their, you know, on their A game and Boise State couldn't capitalize, that's disappointing as well. But like you said, UCF easily could have made this a lot uglier. They did look a lot better. They were moving the ball uh, pretty much at will until it came to that third down. Um, And so, you know, props to Boise State for being able to get stops there. But um, it, it, it could have been a lot worse. It honestly could have been a lot worse for either team. Um, but it definitely could have been a lot worse for Boise. Yeah, for sure. And for Boise's offense, it's, I'm just not seeing it a whole lot here from Taylor Green. He he left the game, uh, I don't know how far in, but with, a, with an abdominal injury. It sounds like he's going to be good to go this week, which is good news for them. But um, 9 of 19 passing for 144 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I don't know. That's not that's not really what you want. Um, Ashton Genty, who I mentioned, he's excellent. He's very very good. Twenty four carries for one hundred and fifteen yards. Also had five receptions for ninety seven and a touchdown. Uh, they did not have George Halani here. I'm having a hard time seeing playmakers on this offense beyond those two, and that is, you know, with a quarterback who's struggling, that's not really what you want. I, I think they need receivers to emerge, uh, and they're not really getting that right now. Obviously, Latrell Capels is out for the season. Um, and so they're left with like Stephen Cobbs, who just hasn't done that much. It just hasn't really been as good as they needed him to be. 
uh, Boise State will have the chance to bounce back this upcoming week, I believe against North Dakota, if memory serves. Yeah, North Dakota. Yes. That yeah. should be a chance to get on the board, you would assume. But things not great in, in Boise right now. Um, yeah, just, just things not great in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely not great. Um, definitely a chance to bounce back, as you say, North Dakota. They are pretty good. I mean, North yeah. Dakota is, is a pretty good team. So Boise State definitely looking to bounce back. But if they can't figure it out by then, uh, looking beyond that by a few weeks, they do have San Diego State, Memphis. Uh, it, it could be tough. If they if these guys can't figure out what they're doing, it could be a rough few weeks for them. So yeah, uh, definitely Broncos fans hoping to see a little bit more, uh, hopefully against North Dakota, because if it's not going to happen then, it's probably not going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, next up here, UCLA 35, San Diego State 10. San Diego State was not super competitive in this game. UCLA started kind of slow and then just pulled away. Um, I don't know how much you can take from this. San Diego State was much was the it was the much worse team. I think UCLA might be really good by the end of the season. Dante Moore at quarterback looked excellent. Carson Steele at at halfback is just impossible to get on the ground. Um, you know, San Diego State would have liked to get more from this, but I. I think that there's about a 25 point difference between these two teams. I think UCLA is just that much better. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we, we saw basically the same San Diego state team this week than we saw the previous two weeks. Yep. Uh, and that's exactly what Aztecs fans were hoping not to see. Uh, they, they did come out pretty flat against Ohio in week zero. And then in Idaho state in the Idaho state game week one, um, and, and we, we knew this coming in. We talked about it last week. If, if they are going to play that same game, they're going to lose to UCLA. They're going to lose uh, probably a lot of games in the conference. So yeah. they, they are kind of in that same boat, I think, as Boise, where they have an, an unbelievable amount of potential if they can get everything going. Uh, but right now, just not firing on all cylinders, not playing to the fullest potential. And this is about what I would have expected out of that San Diego State team. Yeah, it's just it, you see the same sort of limitations here that we have seen from San Diego State for quite some time now, which is that they, you know, aren't throwing the ball especially well. Jalen Maiden had 19 attempts and thir- on or 37 attempts and 19 completions for 196 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions, which is not good, and it's made worse by the fact that they still can't run, which is really strange. They haven't been able to run for a couple years now. That was really the strength of the offense for basically the entire Rocky Long tenure, and Brady Hoke has just not been able to find it. They don't have a guy there. Um, Keenan Kristen ran nine times for 27 yards. That was the best effort that they had on the ground. There's just not really anything going on here for this offense, and I think that the defense, even if it is decent, there's really not a great chance to see it in this kind of game because they're going to be on the field for a really long time. They're not going to get a whole lot of help from the offense. Um, things don't get easier here for San Diego State either. Uh, Oregon State on the road up next. That is that is not a fun matchup. That's a much better version of what San Diego State wants to do, essentially. Uh, Boise State at home and then at Air Force to close out the month, as we have referenced before. Another team just not, not in a great way right now, a team that would like to be a contender, a favorite in the Mountain West, and I don't know if they're especially well positioned to do that at this point. Yeah, they're definitely not. You look at that Boise State game, I think before the season started, we were all looking at that game as basically Mountain West Championship game part one. Yeah. And right now that's going to be two middling teams. Uh, that might be one of those games that it's like the loser season is basically over and the winner can maybe salvage something. Uh, you certainly hope that's not the case for either program. They're both 
strongest story programs here in the in the conference. But right now, it is not shaping up the way either of those fan bases wanted. San Diego State, like you said, they do have, I think, a pretty good uh, formidable defense. The offense just isn't clicking. If they do start to move the ball in the air or run the ball like they did against Idaho State last week, you have you have a potentially you know really scary team. But right now, it's just not clicking on offense and that defense. You're just asking too much of them. You're asking them to play three full quarters of football, basically. So yeah, uh, it's just not working out for them right now. Um, yeah, just those two teams, I think, a lot of similarities, just lots to figure out. Yep, got to be able to run the football, San Diego State. Might want to figure something out there. Can't really do yeah. this if you can't run the football. The defense, I don't. it doesn't matter how good they are if they can't you know, hold on to the ball. It doesn't work if you're not controlling the clock. Um, Michigan 35, UNLV 7. Really nothing to talk about here for UNLV. This was a, it was never close. It was 35-0 in the third quarter. Um, nothing going for them on offense. They went... With uh, they used two different quarterbacks here. I don't know if Doug, if Doug Brumfield just got hurt or if he just wasn't playing well. He was ten of nineteen passing for a hundred yards. Um, nothing else on the offense worked a whole lot better. Just nothing going here for UNLV against a very good team against a very good defense. I think you could be maybe slightly optimistic about the way that this transfer heavy UNLV defense played, holding Michigan to thirty five. But then. You look at the stats and, you know, J.J. McCarthy was 22 of 25 passing for 278. And Blake Corum ran 15 times for 80 yards. And Michigan didn't really need to try all that hard. Um, just nothing happening here for UNLV. And that's it's understandable. I, I don't think that this is the end of the world for them. Yeah, I think it's easy to look at that game and say, oh, the Rebels held Michigan, the number two team in the country, to 35 points. Wow, their defense must be really good. But uh, if you dig yeah. in a little bit closer, that might be true. You know, you might have a good defense, but. Uh, that's not why they only scored 35 points. It was yeah. uh, it was a game that Michigan was very much in control of. They're not going to go. Uh, they're not trying to score 50 plus points on on yeah. the Mountain West team. So yeah. that game went about the way I I thought it would. Uh, the seven points for UNLV doesn't come till the fourth quarter when Michigan is. Uh, I mean, all their starters are in the nice bath at that point. So yep. Um, not much there. Not, yep. not Mich- much there. Michigan got the chance to stretch its legs for some of its backups. That was pretty much what happened here. Um, yeah. Fresno State 34, Eastern Washington 31 in double overtime. Eastern Washington traditionally is a good FCS program. I will say that at the top. This is this is usually a pretty good program. Um, they didn't do a very good job last week at North Dakota State. That happens to a lot of teams. Most teams don't do an especially good job at North Dakota State. They were much better here at Fresno State, and uh, for Fresno State, I mean, happy to pull it out, I guess. <laughs> happy to happy to get the win here, regardless of the circumstances, but a little bit closer, I think, than uh, than they were comfortable with. This is not, not necessarily the kind of game you want to be taking into double overtime. Don't, don't really get an opportunity to see your backups, um, and uh, I mean, I guess you can say good to win a close game good to get that experience but man this was this was not this was not great from fresno state here yeah absolutely not what the bulldogs wanted uh you know like on the one hand a win is a win but did you really want to take this game into double overtime uh is this really the way you wanted to earn this win yeah i mean this this story is completely you know flipped if eastern washington wins and it's then the story is how the fcs team comes in and they're they're gritty and they they fight out a double overtime win, but I mean, when you're Fresno State, you're you're escaping at this point. You, yeah. you this game should not have gone into overtime or double overtime. Uh, definitely a close game, closer than they wanted it to uh, wanted it to be. Um, I still think 
Fresno, I, I'm not hitting the panic button if you're a Bulldog fan. I yeah. do think, you know, the win against Purdue last week, you look forward, you have Arizona State next week, a good Pac-12 opponent, that's that's fun. Um, I, I think you try not to read too much into it, but a little bit concerning that the Eastern Washington was allowed to uh, to come in and play it that close. Yeah, and for I think Fresno State, the big concern, obviously the the defense not great here. The defense does get the game winning play with an interception and double overtime to close it down after a uh, a twenty five yard field goal attempt. But the first thing I say, or the the second thing I say there, twenty five yard field goal attempt in overtime. That's not what you on on a, on a fourth and goal. You got to get in the end zone if you're Fresno State. And there was that was an issue throughout the game here is just kind of a lack of efficiency on offense. You know, one of the the strengths of this team has been how able they how good they are at moving the ball down the field just consistently how good they are at picking up yards at picking up chunk plays at making defenses work throughout the game and they did enough to win but Mikey Keene not super efficient 5.7 yards per attempt had an interception rushing attack was not very good at all um 4.3 yards a carry for the leading rusher there uh, you just you want to see a little bit more from this offense, and I think it played a lot better against Purdue than it did here. And so, like you said, not sounding the alarm quite yet, but this was not the best day at the office for this Fresno State offense, and, and the defense I think probably could have done better here than it did, even though it it fared relatively well given the circumstances. It's just this should have been a comfortable win, and it it wasn't a comfortable win at all. Yeah, hopefully you. Uh... I mean, anytime you get to bounce back from a win instead of bouncing back from a loss, yeah. that's a good thing. So, you know, hopefully this is a game that they can bounce back from. Uh, it's, you know, it's probably just something that they overlooked, and that might say more about coaching than anything else. I mean, you probably, uh, you probably did overlook this Eastern Washington team, who is yeah. a good team. Um, they were very efficient. The offense didn't look great. Um, yeah. So hopefully they can they can bounce back. But you know, being able to be two one zero and have to bounce back is a lot better than being one and one. Um, and you know, but, but then again, not losing to an FCS team. I mean, you don't get to say, Hey, at least we didn't lose. Um, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about one of those games where, you know, didn't go that way. But, um, if you're in the mountain West, you don't get to, uh, you don't get to celebrate not losing to an FCS school. So a little bit of cause for concern. Hopefully it was just kind of an overlooked, um, maybe lack of discipline on the coaching side, but we'll see. I think we'll see in short order what this uh, Bulldog team can do. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the uh, the not losing to an FCS team, right? For some programs in this conference, probably would be really good to not to just not lose to an FCS team. Uh, specifically here, Nevada, which loses thirty three to six to Idaho. The the thing I can say about this game and the the thing that is the most concerning, I think, about this Nevada team and program writ large, is that if you watch this one, if you go through the box score, if you look at this one and you erased the logos, you erased the names, you would not think that Nevada is the FBS team here in this game. You would think Idaho is the Mountain is the, you know, the Mountain West Conference team. They were physically better, much better. Like infinitely, infinitely better. They I think almost doubled up um yeah, almost doubled up Nevada in yards. Uh, really just did uh, everything on the football field. If it was a football category that you can do, that you can be, you can play well in, Idaho was better than Nevada. There's not a single thing here that was good from Nevada, and uh, this, this, they're in a rough, they're in a rough way. This program is not in a good place right now. Yeah, I mean, you say, oh, Idaho looks like the Mountain West team. Nevada doesn't. Okay, let's make it happen. Can we? Can yeah. we switch these two teams? Can we trade? Um, yeah, I, this I, this was ridiculous nevada had 
no business losing this bad. I mean, they had no business losing at all. You don't lose. I mean, that's always said last week is you don't lose to teams like this. And yeah. and you lost. And you lost bad. Yeah, it was, um, it was really you nasty. You did not find the end zone. You kick a field goal in the, four, in the first. You kick a field goal in the second. And then you're done. You don't even – your offense doesn't score in the second half. It's it's ugly. It's bad. Yeah. Um, they don't have time either to figure it out. They have Kansas next week. Kansas looks good this year. Um, oh no! For a Nevada team that is really physicality deficient, I would say that is not a fun matchup, and they get it at home too, which is not going to be enjoyable. Um, that's uh, yeah, tough to tough to sell this right now to the home crowd if you're if you're Nevada. And then, I mean, are these guys going to win a game? You look at the rest of the schedule here: Kansas at home yeah. at Texas State, which beat Baylor in Week One at Fresno State. Uh, home against UNLV at San Diego State. Home against New Mexico is probably your best chance. You get Hawaii at home as well. Um, but then at Utah State, at Colorado State, and home against Wyoming to close out the season. Uh, Idaho was faster. Idaho had faster players and better skilled players. Idaho's defense was more physical. Um, Nevada is not a competent FBS program right now at all. They're not really even all that close. No, these guys are in shambles. It's frustrating as a fan, like not even as a Wolfpack fan, like as a as a Utah State fan, as a Mountain West fan. Yeah, this this type of program is not acceptable, and we're not talking about one year where they're riddled with injuries. These these guys have not put a strong program on the football field in in a while. I yeah. don't think and it, basketball. It, they're great, but yeah. football it's, it's it's not looking good. It's it's a choice too right because you saw under jay norvell they could be good they were good under jay norvell they won games they were competitive they were i think in the mountain west title game not that long ago um and they didn't want to spend the money on that they didn't want to invest in the program the way that he wanted and so he went to a a pretty desolate program in the same conference uh it's just they they are not yeah yeah, not investing in football and this is what you get when you do that They, they are working it's very, very, very far behind the eight ball here. They are not competitive in this conference. They're not trying to be competitive in this conference. I think it is, uh, if I was the Mountain West, I would be really frustrated with what Nevada football is putting on the field because it's it's obvious that they are not really taking this all that seriously. Yeah, and, and to your point, if they do win a game, it's probably uh, between that New Mexico and Hawaii back-to-back home games. Yeah. Um, maybe they uh, go one and one there, but unless they're stealing one from from somebody else i mean they are i'll put it this way they're not going to be the better team in any of the games no they might they might win something because college football is crazy so they might pick up a win or two um but i don't look at their schedule and say oh they are the better team um if they are beating unlv or san diego state or somebody else yeah um it's because college football is crazy it's not because nevada is better yeah Uh, and so yeah it's this is getting frustrating this has to be addressed this yeah i mean these guys cannot this is bad. Yeah, and I mean, bad, you, bad stuff. You look at those two potentially, you know, the most likely winnable games, New Mexico and Hawaii. Guess what? Those two teams did this week. They beat FCS opponents, New Mexico, by quite a bit. Like that's that's the baseline. That that's the minimum is that you need to win these games. And and Nevada was not close. Um, Air Force thirteen, Sam Houston three. I would imagine that this one will be a a larger point of discussion for us this week as we get into previewing Air Force in a little bit. Um, you know, Utah State headed there on Friday. That'll be a very big game for the Aggies. Uh, not a huge showing here from Air Force. The the offense, I think, didn't really show a ton and also didn't really have a ton going. 
I will say to Sam Houston's credit, that defense is good. I think firmly that Sam Houston defense is good and the offense is a disaster and, and Air Force really played to both of those things. Um, you know, you win the game and, and that's really what you need more than anything for Air Force, but not a not a resounding victory, just sort of a victory. Not not a ton to take from this. Yeah, this one went basically exactly how you said it would last week, Air Force. I think you said Air Force 14, Sam Houston 0. So yep. uh, definitely right there in the range of what you were expecting. I was I was curious to see if Air Force would score more. I kind of thought they were going to. Um, so, yeah, yeah, a very low-scoring game. It's something we'll probably dive into more later this week, but um, nothing, nothing stands out in this game. Yeah, something I will note, I have two things real quick. One, Air Force only lost one of these, three fumbles. That's not common for Air Force. That's a lot of fumbles. Um, something to tuck away in the notes app on your mind uh heading into this game is air force had three fumbles and that is a consideration for a utah state defense that has talked every opportunity it has it has gotten about uh punch attempts about trying to punch the ball out when they're going for tackles just file that away under potentially interesting um yes also want to mention here on the air force defense like i said sam houston's offense is nothing it's nothing there's nothing there but uh six first downs 80 total yards. <laughs> you're pretty happy with that as a defense when you can hold an, an opponent, an FBS opponent to uh, 80 yards and six first downs. That's pretty good. You, no, nothing going here for the Sam Houston offense. I think Air Force's defense was pretty obviously the better of the two units coming into this season and uh, remains as such. That that group is good. Yeah. Yeah. Last um... Last one here, Hawaii 31, Albany 20. Just wanted to mention this was the very, very late night game. I believe it finished on Sunday. Um, Hawaii takes care of business. Not uh, not especially resounding. Braden Shaker with a, a classic Braden Shaker stat line here. Uh, 23 of 40 passing for 266 yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions. You take the good with the bad with Braden Shaker, and he's going to give you plenty of both. Um, I, I thought Hawaii's defense acquitted itself pretty well here. 20 points is not a ton, and seven of those came on in uh, on a pick six. They, they they generally were able to handle themselves. They forced two field goals. Um, good win. Good win for Hawaii. Did what they needed to do at home, took care of business. It didn't lose to an FCS opponent. You're happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and to, this game's not on our list, but I'm just going to throw New Mexico State or New Mexico Texas Tech in here as well. Yeah. Um, just taking care of business in a way that I was actually, um, again, I, I don't want to say I'm impressed when you beat an FCS team. Yeah. But for New Mexico to score 56, um, there were times last year when it looked like they couldn't score 56 on practice dummies. Uh, or, or, so... or in a month. Like if you gave them a month worth of games, they <laughs> yeah. wouldn't score 56 points. Yeah, they, they, they haven't done that in a while. I don't know when the last time yeah. New Mexico scored 56 points in a game was. And Tennessee Tech is, you know, it is what it is. But... 56 I mean, we remember what happened when points. Texas, right, right. I, I was saying we remember what happened when Tennessee Tech came to Utah State. It was uh, similar. So yeah, this is a team that you can score a lot on. But New Mexico, uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for New Mexico scoring 56, and then also Hawaii being able to you know go 20, uh, 31 to 20. Um, yeah. Again, they're taking care of business, but in a way that I kind of didn't expect, especially with the Lobos. So cautiously optimistic as those two. Uh, uh, situations unfold. Yeah, and the the last thing I have on New Mexico is that you can see 
I don't think it's going to work against better opponents, but you can see what they are trying to do on offense, especially. The defense, we know what it is. We know what Danny Gonzalez does on that side of the ball, even without Rocky Long there anymore. Now off to Syracuse for the same position as defensive coordinator. Um, But on offense, they bring in Bryant Vincent from UAB. You can see the identity. You can see what they're trying to do against a very bad defense. Dylan Hopkins at quarterback, 13 of 17 passing for 273 yards and four touchdowns. Um, Leading rusher, Ja'Cory Krosky-Merritt ran 12 times for 162 yards and three touchdowns. You're not going to get those big plays every game. I would say you're probably not going to get those big plays most games, but there's an identity there. They want to run the ball. They want to set up play action. They want to beat you down the field with this passing attack. That's the way that UAB did it they have a thing that they're trying to do, and that's a step in the right direction, I think, for this offense. is that, you know It's been listless for several years now. Good for them. They did what they were supposed to do. Same for Hawaii. Yeah, and having an identity, like it seems uh, it seems basic, but you know what, for a team that hasn't had one, yeah. a huge step in the right direction. At least they know who they are. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they might not be who they think they are, but at least they think they are something yeah. and they're, they're working on that yeah. so that's yeah the, props to them that's the thing about the basics you have to have them you can't really do anything be, beyond that until you have like goals <laughs> aspirations yeah. as a football yeah. program so they have those. yeah good for them yeah right on uh right there so uh, a couple more notes unless you have anything else on those games i was just gonna note um in the ap poll the mountain west is getting a little bit of movement, not, nothing really significant. Fresno State receiving two votes, Wyoming receiving one. Uh, nothing else in the Mountain West. James Madison is receiving one vote. They mm-hmm. have been receiving one vote since week one. James Madison actually a little bit of a weird situation in my mind. Um, and, and, and again, significant only because we played them in two weeks. James Madison started the season with one vote and then proceeded to go 2-0 and with a victory against Virginia. And is still receiving one vote. So a little bit kind of weird there. And then Iowa, one note, when we beat Iowa, we didn't mention this on the show. It just kind of slipped my mind. They dropped it. Sorry. When Iowa beat us, they dropped out of the top 25 uh, this week with a win. They are back in the top 25. So another weird note there. Um, do you have anything on those? I kind of just unloaded a kind of a few potential storylines on you, but um, a few things going on there. Yeah. on, On the James Madison side, and we'll obviously talk more about that game next week when it is actually uh, on on deck. But um, Blake Anderson was asked at the post-game press conference briefly about them by, I think, a television reporter who didn't realize that they were in the FBS at this point. He was asked about them as like an FCS power, which they're not. They're in the Sun Belt. They used to be an FCS power. And uh, Blake Blake gave a a very resounding and complimentary quote that I have. I'm going to read. Um, and I, I would, I would, I would advise heeding what he says here because he is correct. James Madison is a strong program. He says those dudes are Division One and as good as they come. They beat Virginia today. Anybody who pays attention to ball, and I know we don't hear about them much on the West Coast, but if you've been in the East, you know there ain't nothing FCS about James Madison. Our fan base will find out real quickly what James Madison looks like, just like Virginia found out today. Yes, that's correct. James Madison is. For real, that is a very, 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 very good football program. Whatever level you put them at, they are good. And I think that is going to be yeah. a really, really big test for Utah State in two weeks. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. And and my point is saying that they only have one vote. My point was... They uh, should have maybe more. You, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I was going to say, maybe you know kind of what's going on better than I do, but... How do you start with one vote? You go two and zero with a win against Virginia, and you're still sitting at one vote. Yeah, like, 
I know it's not unheard of. This isn't the weirdest thing. A lot of people probably are are very eager to disrespect a team like James Madison. But yeah. do you have any kind of idea or inclination what's going on there? Like, how are they still only at one vote? This is a team that's they are one of the top teams in the country, without a doubt in my mind. They are yeah. top 30, 35 at least. To receive one vote still is is odd to me. I think. Yeah, I, I would certainly have them up there on the on the border of the top twenty five. I think they might be, you know, right up there with uh, Troy as probably the best team in the Sun Belt. They might be the best team in the Sun Belt this year, and that's a very good conference. That's a very very good. I think the best of the G five conferences this season has been for a couple years now. Um, yeah. the, I think the simplest you... answer is is probably the right one, which is uh, just that I don't think that AP poll voters are especially. Uh, competent. I don't think that they watch. I don't think they watch all that much football, and I don't blame them because most of them are team reporters. They have something else to do. They have a game to watch of their own and things to write about. It's hard to watch everything that happens in this sport, especially when you're covering a game. That's you know, at a minimum four or five hours out of a day that you are spending watching one game, and you can keep an eye on the scores. Right? I'm down on the field taking pictures. I keep an eye on the scores, but. It's hard to do if you don't have a distinct reason to go and watch James Madison, and I think a lot of people honestly just don't know about them. I think a lot of voters just don't really pay that much attention. Yeah, uh, fair point. Uh, you mentioned Troy. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's James Madison's opponent this week. Yes, that's it, it is. Game. Yes, so they are they're at Troy. We will see um, if they if they can pull that off. They they might be able to move the needle a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, if they can, know, if we're, if, yeah. we're, if they can pull that off, it's it's red alert. That is a big, big, dangerous game right there. If James Madison is capable of winning at Troy, um, that's a good football team. That's a very good football team. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if we're looking at a three and one Utah State and a uh, what would it be a three and zero James Madison or two and one Utah State three and zero James Madison, that could be. Uh, that could be a sneaky huge game for for the team for both teams and for the conference. But yeah, um, obviously getting a little bit ahead of myself there. I was wondering like if if you've seen anything with that. It, it just it just seems weird that they're still only receiving one vote. But yeah, I, I think that that is going to change. They are either going to lose and lose that vote or hopefully turn some more heads here in the next couple of weeks. But nobody should be overlooking these guys in a couple of weeks. Yep. All right. Let's talk about Idaho State. Let's talk about Utah State seventy eight. Idaho State twenty eight. Um, like I said at the stop at the start, most points scored in a game for Utah State since 1919. Um, I believe they set at least of the records that are kept, which are not they don't go back forever. I believe they set the single quarter high with 44 points in the second quarter. It was just a barrage. Um, dominant win from Utah State. A very very different outcome here from the last time Utah State played it against an FCS opponent from the Big Sky. Different programs, different teams in different places. Uh, Weber State, very good. Idaho State, still a work in progress. But for Utah State, I thought that the focus was excellent. I thought the effort was very good. It looked like they took it seriously, and they delivered the result that you would get from a team that is much more talented than another team, taking the, the week of preparation seriously. A lot to be encouraged about, even in a game that you look at the final score and you kind of have to, you know, how much can you really take from that? I think that there's still a lot to be excited about here for Utah State. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And, you, you know, you mentioned maybe you can't take too much out of this final score, and I don't want to read too much into it. Um, but let's just acknowledge that 78 points is it's a lot. It's a lot of points. points. That, that is a lot. I mean, we could have taken everything but the second quarter, and we still beat these guys 44 to 28. Yeah. You know, they, they score 28 in the whole game. We score 44 in one quarter. 
78 is a lot of points. I was curious because I'm thinking, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking our basketball team has games where we don't score 78 this year. Yeah. Like without a doubt, like they will not score 78 every game. Yeah. I went back and looked. The last time we played Idaho State in basketball, we did score more than 78. We scored 85. Yeah. Before that, we only scored 58. Ah. So like this is a basketball <laughs> score. Like this is so many points. In fact, in our history against Idaho State in basketball, we've only scored more than 78 points. Yeah. So I don't want to read too much into the final score, but let's just acknowledge like 78 is an unbelievable amount of points to score in four quarters of football. So yeah. I do want to acknowledge that while also saying, okay, it is an FCS team. Um, yeah. Let's not get too excited, but this offense was uh, everything I wanted and more in, yeah. in this game. Yeah. It's an FCS team, but it is also an FCS team that played San Diego state close <clears throat> a week ago. And Utah state is better yeah. prepared for this kind of offense than San Diego state was, but you know, San Diego State scored 36 points in that game, and Utah State uh, doubled that and then some. That's impressive. It's hard to do. It is. It's hard to score that many points in a game, and they, you know, they forced three turnovers, and all three of them turned into touchdowns. Two of them uh, on that play with pick sixes from Mike Larson and uh, Jaden Francois, and then uh, one on the very next play after a fumble that I, I think uh, Kyan Sloan recovered, and then you have a touchdown pass from Cooper Lagat to Terrell Vaughn. Um, you know, you, you get 21 points off of that, but you still have to score 78 points to get there, and that is not easy to do. The big thing with the offense, um, the passing attack had its moments and did produce, I believe, four touchdowns, if memory serves. I think Vaughn had two. Yeah, four. And then yep. uh, who else was it? Let me see here. I've got the book. Uh, Jaden Royals and Micah Davis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jalen Royals had one, and then Micah Davis had the uh, the ridiculous, like Levi Williams off of his back foot on the run doesn't look yeah, like there's yeah. any way that the pass could possibly get there, and then it travels like 40 yards through the air and lands right in the pocket. Um, boy, it, it's a shame. It's a shame about the consistency for Levi Williams because the highs are so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun <laughs> yes, when yeah. he just flicks his wrist and the ball goes 60 yards, and it's not a problem. Um, but uh, yeah, mostly here from the offense, uh, the scoring comes, you know, in part from the passing attack, and I thought the passing attack was fine. It did what it needed to do. But the big strength here, the big, uh, you know, shining thing on top of this offense, Robert Briggs, nine carries, 101 yards in a touchdown. Rasul Faison, five carries, 95 yards in a touchdown. Davon Booth, six carries, 83 yards, two touchdowns. Cooper Jones, eight carries, 32 yards in a touchdown. Utah State ran the ball. Like it was uh, going out of style. Utah State was was pounding the rock in this game without any issue at all. Uh, line was blocking very well. Those trio, that trio of starting halfbacks of of rotation halfbacks who they play, Briggs, Booth, and Faison, um, they are good. I know who the opponent is. Those guys are good. That kind of athleticism is going to translate to anybody else that Utah State plays. It doesn't matter who they're playing against. You can see that they are that they are that kind of player. That they are uh, going to be difficult for defenses to handle, even when they're better than this one was. Um, those guys are good. Yeah, the run game is definitely. I mean, that's what that was so impressive to me. The, the passing game, like you said, it did it did what it needed to do. I don't think they forced much. They, they you know they they took what was there. Uh, in the passing game, they threw for 211 yards, and that's probably uh, all that they really wanted to do. Rushing for 380 yards, I mean, these guys were running like it was going out of style. It was it was unbelievable to watch some of these runs. 
And there were moments where it looked like a big brother playing with a little brother. Yeah. And we would run and almost like break a tackle that looked so effortless. It looked like it was on accident. Yeah. Like when you, <laughs> like when you accidentally make a fool of your little brother and then you're like, ah, like, uh, I guess I have to run another 15 yards and guess I'll just run to the end zone. I mean, it was, uh, it was ridiculous, especially those top three Briggs, Faison and Booth. Those two, um, the, or those three are are so good at running the football. Yeah, uh, Booth especially stands out to me as just the way that he runs is so much fun. He's so uh, it, it looks like he's like almost falling down. He runs so downhill. Um, vision is excellent. He's just nasty, nasty when he runs the football. Um, could not be more impressed with those three. Uh, Briggs obviously started the game. I think the second play was his big breakthrough run for, uh, let's see, 58 yards and a touchdown. And then his day was kind of done after that. He, he took eight more carries, but he had, uh, he had done his work. Uh, Faison had the 60 yard touchdown run, which I believe was the longest in, in some time for Utah state of a, of a touchdown run, I think since 2021 against air force, if memory serves. Um, and then, uh, and then Booth was kind of the most consistent of the three. He did it twice. He had several big gains. Um, something that I, I do want to note and something that I'm going to write about here today or tomorrow for the film review for the, uh, the $10 tier subscribers is the wide receiver blocking, which I asked Blake Anderson about at today's press conference and got a good answer on, um, the effort level from those guys, Terrell Vaughn, Colby Bowman was the starter here with Autotia out. Don't know how long that injury is going to be. Um, have not really heard any details on that. But Colby Bowman starts. Uh, Jalen Royals, Kahanu Davis. If he was a wide receiver who played in this game, you saw it. Um, Micah Davis as well. The effort in blocking down the field on those running plays. You see the, the Davon Booth touchdown uh, where he... Uh, is like tackled into the end zone, not the one where he dives, but the one where he's tackled into the end zone, and he's he's there's like four or five defenders near the corner of the end zone as he's getting there. You see Jalen Royals 40 yards down the field still blocking somebody, blocking somebody into the end zone. You see him, you know, having to uh, having to basically stop on a dime and cut back to run with Booth to block for him. The effort level from these receivers, uh, uh, downfield blocking was terrific and it has been all season so far they did it against Iowa as well um that was never ever ever the case last season the wide receiver blocking last year was awful it was consistently awful it is much much improved that's a big part of this offense is having wide receivers who are invested who are interesting and who are who are interested and who are willing to block for their teammates these guys have been excellent with that yeah it's been huge this year you mentioned it was maybe especially bad last year, maybe uniquely yeah. bad. Yeah. But this is something that uh, the level that we're seeing right now is like a coach's dream. I mean, mm -hmm. even what we're, what we're seeing right now, this isn't just progression to the mean. This isn't just returning to where you should be. Uh, these receivers are going above and beyond in their blocking assignments. And that, yeah. I mean, it, it shows, right? We scored 28 or 78 points. Um, so that that is a huge part of this game that is going to be overlooked. So I'm, I'm stoked to see, uh, see your write up on that because yeah. Uh, that's that's a huge part of this game, in yeah. this offense. And I think it's something that they have really stressed this offseason. I think it's something that Kyle Cephalo, the past game coordinator and, and wide receivers coach, has really made a, a focus of in saying, like, if you don't do this, you're not going to be on the field. If you don't, if you don't block, you're not going to be down the field. You got to be unselfish to play in this offense. 
it was such an issue last season uh, with some guys who are not around anymore. Um, it has not been a problem at all. You see all of these guys bought in. You see the the one who has most impressed me, who I mentioned, Jalen Royals, um, comes from an, an option background, has played in those offenses before, which is why, despite being you know six foot one, 190 pounds, running a four three, uh, why he was available to Utah State a couple years ago when they signed him. If he had played in a passing heavy offense, he'd be in the SEC right now. Um, you see it from him. You see it from Micah Davis, who comes from that kind of offense as well. But you also see it from guys like Terrell Vaughn, who's pulling in, you know, 12 receptions and doing quite a bit of work as a receiver. He's he's on pace for, uh, he would set the record for single season receptions by about 36 receptions if he keeps this pace. I think he'd finish with like 138. Um, he's busy. He's a busy man. He's still blocking. He's still making that time and, and putting in that effort. Colby Bowman has been excellent. Um, the culture of that room, the energy from that room is just, it, it's night and day from last season. I think it's made a big difference for the rest of the offense. Yeah. You mentioned Terrell Vaughn being busy. I made the point during the game with, uh, with my family that I was sitting by like Terrell Vaughn, I would be exhausted running as much as Terrell Vaughn does Yeah, just, just along the line of scrimmage before, you know, as they're lining up, he's always switching sides. He's moving around so much, like even, even on those plays where he's not catching the ball. He is so active. It's almost like uh, uh, for the basketball fans that have been been around for a while, it's like Brian Green um, mm. from a while back, the Davis High kid that came up, and he was just so active away from the ball. It was just, it was annoying to guard him. He was he was pesky when he was guarding you. Like this guy is all over, um, and I think this receiving core, uh, they're they, they're buying in. And yeah. at this level of college football, you need a high level of buy in. Um, and and the fun thing about an unselfish offense, the way you described it, is when you play unselfish football, you get the ball back. Like you score 78 points when, yeah. when things are going well and when you're playing unselfish, when you play selfish football, and this is true of basically every sport, right? Like when you're, when you're playing basketball, whatever it is, if you're playing selfish offense, you might feel like you look better, but you lose games. You don't score as much 78 points, 78 points. There's, there's plenty to go around. Uh, if these guys are, are willing to, uh, to take their snaps and, and, you know, fulfill their blocking assignments. Yeah. That's cl- clearly true here. Uh, a lot of a lot of yards in the air, a lot of yards on the ground. Yeah, and, and I think that that has really been the theme through these first two games in general for the whole Utah State team is that the energy, the effort, the physicality, the unselfishness has been just, and I said as much on, on Twitter during the game, it's night and day from last season. It is absolutely night and day. It is not even close. This, this team, the, the buy-in, the energy... Um, the just caring about what they're doing, taking pride in their work. It is, it is absolutely, it could not be further from what we saw last season. Um, and they're benefiting. They're benefiting in a big way. They are, they are playing the way that you get to play when you do that, when you buy in. And they're having a lot of fun, I think, on both sides of the ball. You're seeing it with the defense, with discipline in the front against the run. Um, it, it's about, uh, you know, uh, the biggest thing for football, the biggest thing for football coaches, the biggest job that they have, the number one task is getting guys to do their jobs. That's it. It's simple. College football is not that hard. You just need to do your job at every position. And it's really, really difficult to get them all to do that. And I think that has been my biggest impression from this game and in general is that on both sides of the ball, you are seeing that buy-in. You are seeing guys just in the right spot doing the right thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, you score 78 points when that happens. You, you Good things happen when you just do your job because 
the way you draw it up, if you do it that way, it'll work. It's 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 easy to win football games on paper when you follow what you are what you're doing, um, and I think that Utah State is is really really doing that well right now. Yeah, and and it is a real concern. I think even just from like a fan perspective, like with the way the transfer portal is, and with these guys having the opportunity to make money off of their name, image, and likeness at bigger schools. Uh, something that the fans are worried about is are they buying in? Do they like being in Logan? Do they like playing for a school that's smaller? Yeah. Uh, these guys do. Uh, it, it is very clear. At least the guys that are getting playing time yeah. do, and they're, they're having a great time. You mentioned the defense, and we kind of talked about how when you're playing unselfish ball, uh, there's plenty to go around. We had so much scoring going on in this game that even the defense got involved in it. Like, yeah. like Our offense couldn't even handle the amount of touchdowns we had to score. So we had to get two defensive touchdowns in as well. Um, Ike Larson and Jaden Francois both both running back at pick six. The defense was uh, absolutely stellar as well. But uh, I mean, this is just this is this is the product when you when you buy in and when you play unselfish football. There, it goes to both sides of the football, and I think the defense really benefited from the offense this game too. Yeah, for sure. And and there were you know there were things I think on the defense and in general, and we we can talk about this in a little bit. There are things from this game to improve on. There are things in this game that I still have questions about. I wrote about that in the cover story about like you know if you want to pick nits, there are nits to pick. There are things that have been yeah, either yeah. not necessarily good or that we just don't know about. Like I think the the passing attack on offense specifically. I just don't know yet because it really hasn't had all that much volume. Um, it's been a lot of screens. It's been a lot of short passes, and I think it could do more, but I have not seen that yet. The defense, um, the secondary, I think, has made a lot of plays, but you have also seen some coverage busts. You've seen some big plays created from guys uh, you know, miscommunicating, not fully understanding what they're doing. You would assume that gets better as the season goes on. Um, the pass rush has been it has provided pressure. They've got 25 pressures through two games. It's also only provided three sacks. And so there are questions. There are things that you can still be uh, focused on and, and worrying about heading into the tougher games of this season. But you also see things like, um, just for example, Anthony Switzer, 10 tackles, having a blast out there. Could not be having a better time. Um, you see his energy translating into other guys. You see them playing off of that. You see him breaking out the Spider-Man celebration and just uh, looking like he's enjoying himself and, and, you know, making plays. Simeon Harris has been a a revelation for this secondary, starting at safety next to Larson. Um, Ike is obviously the the star and will get the attention, but Simeon Harris, just steady as could be as a tackler, he had eight tackles in this game, also had a pass breakup. Um, Jaden Francois, who I didn't expect to see that much this year, seven tackles, one and a half tackles for loss at the interception return for a touchdown. He is basically serving as Switzer's understudy. I didn't see him in that role. I think he's filling it really well, though. Um, you know, Paul Fitzgerald is stepping up as a redshirt freshman. You see Cole Joyce had a really good game off the bench at linebacker. Utah State got the chance to build some really good depth in this game. Gavin Barthiel playing well, Avante Dickerson playing well. The list goes on. You see so many things you can build on in this kind of game and, and from this start for the defense that, you know, those little those little mistakes, they do add up and they do become a lot more important against better opponents. We just saw that against Iowa last week, but there's a lot to like on this defense. There are a lot of players to like on this deep th- defense, and I think that they're building the depth in a way that feels sustainable long-term. Yeah, there's definitely question marks, like you said. Again, nothing – it's hard to – It's again, the panic button. I'm not hitting it. Yeah, it's week two. There are question marks. There are question marks, but – Overall, I think the defense played well. I think there were some yeah. questions on uh, special teams that we'll get to in a minute, and then I think the 
the penalties, it, it, it's probably it warrants mentioning uh, again in a minute. But I think just from the defensive standpoint, more good than bad and more good than bad by a large, large margin. You mentioned Anthony Switzer. I don't think I've seen a guy. I don't think I've seen a performance like that at Utah State maybe ever. He's just from a per- performance. He he was literally everywhere. I mean, it was it was like there was two Switzes out there at some yeah. point, at some parts of the game. Um, but not only that, but I mean, yeah, I've seen I've seen players get ten total tackles, five solo before. Um, that's not all that I'm referring to. I'm just referring to his attitude, the swagger, his energy. I don't think I've ever seen that dominant a performance of somebody just having that much fun. I mean, it was it was really seriously just a unique display of emotion and celebration. He was he was having so much fun. I mean, there was yeah. There was 20,000 people in the stands and he was having more fun than all. Yeah. So, yeah. Just such an awesome performance and to do it well, you know, clearly taking his craft seriously, mastering his craft. He wasn't he wasn't goofing around. He was He's lining up he his was, teammates before the play. Yeah. He's he's getting guys yeah, on the right yeah. spot and then after the play he's having fun. Um Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. and it it shows even just in his in his stats from PFF, he, you know, he played 43 snaps in the box, 18 at, at free safety and then 6 in the slot. Um, also spent one as an edge rusher uh, on, on one of those uh, where they, they like to put six or seven on the line. Um, within that, five targets allowed three receptions for 21 yards. That's good. That's good from, from what is basically a linebacker. Uh, had 10 tackles to lead the team. He is the adjuster that this defense has to have, that Joe Cawthon's system has to have to be successful, because you can put him wherever. Whatever needs fixed, you can put him there. If if the run defense is struggling to uh, you know, struggling to get guys on the ground, you need an extra body in the box, he can do it. He's flying in there. If the pass coverage is having you know having a rough day, you can drop him into coverage, you can drop him into man, into zone, he can handle it. Um, they needed a guy like that on this defense, and he has... Uh, He's really taken on the role without any complaints, without any issues. Jaden Francois is doing something similar more as a slot guy. He's he's mostly in the box, but he can drop more into coverage. Um, to have two guys who can do that, and then to have Simeon Harris, who's willing to step up and tackle, to have Ike Larson, who just makes big plays you know, every game. Every, every game, it's something new for Mike, and it's always exciting. Um, there's a lot of versatility in, in this defense, and there's a lot that I think Joe Cawthon can work with that makes them a lot more dangerous. They're creating a ton of havoc, I think 23% havoc rate, very good, um, even without those sacks. And, and you can see, again, it's like we were talking about with New Mexico. You can see what this defense wants to do. You can see what they're going for, and a lot of it is working really well for them right now. Yeah, this defense, it, it is working, and, that, and that's really the only way to put it. Like they, they know who they are. They know what they're trying to do, and it's working. We talked at the top of the show New Mexico knows who they want to be on offense, but it's not working yet. Yeah. Uh, to go from, you know, zero to one is what New Mexico has done. To go from one to two, uh, that's top. And that's where we're at right now. The defense has an identity. It has juice. It has swagger. Uh, there's a lot of different looks. There's a lot of versatility, but it's it's never, you know, it's always very in control. It's very calculated. It's intentional. Um, I'd say, I'd say I'm very, very, overall pleased with the defense the concerns i do have uh we said coming into this game i'd I'd like to see three interceptions uh i only saw two but they were both returned for touchdowns so you know i'll take that one yeah um getting into the backfield was probably the the concern i think we only got one sack 
if I'm there were two. Uh, Cole Joyce there had were, oh, yeah, yeah, Cole, yeah. Cole Joyce had one that was only a two yard loss. Paul Fitzgerald was the the big one. He he had one for seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two sacks. I would have liked to see uh, more of that, especially against a team that I think we uh, we just are more physical than yeah. on on the front line. So that would be maybe a concern for my uh, for me. But overall, I'm pleased. Where where are you at on that? Like, what are you? Uh, what stands out? Or are you? Yeah. How are you feeling on that? Yeah, the the pass rush I wrote about in the cover story a little bit. It's hard to fully get a feel for right now because of the teams that this defense has played. Iowa is a, you know an entity in itself. Sam Houston, not Sam Houston. Um, Idaho State is running the air raid. They get the ball out of the backfield really quickly, and we're still not going to know because Air Force runs the triple option, and there's not going to be yeah, a pass rush yeah. in that game. That's not something you can do against Air Force. Um, I do think that that game is going to be extremely instructive for the defense because it will put to test that discipline in the front seven, in the run fits specifically. They've been excellent so far. If they're excellent in that game, Utah State will win. Like That is... It is a it is a simple calculation when you were talking about a team playing against Air Force, and we're going to talk about this on the preview. If you fit the run right, if you are disciplined, if you do your job, as I was saying earlier, as a defense, you will win that game. It's just they make it really hard. It's There's a lot of eye candy. You have to trust your assignments, and it's hard for guys to do. We'll see what that looks like, but... Um, the, you know, the biggest concerns right now are basically just things we haven't gotten to see yet. And I think that that is encouraging. Paul Fitzgerald, I thought looked really good. I think he can produce pressure. He can produce sacks. Um, I think Kyan Sloan is kind of stepping into that starting spot opposite him. And Akamengao has not been terribly impressive so far. Um, John Ward has not played all that much. I think it's probably going to be Sloan and, uh, and Fitzgerald moving forward. I think that's fine. Blaine Spires has played pretty well as, as well. Um, but you're seeing, you're seeing this stuff emerge. You're seeing this defense find its guys. You're seeing somebody like Gabriel Bryan stepping into big snaps and freeing up, crucially freeing up Michael Onyanwu to, uh, to hunt the best receiver. Essentially, he can drop into the slot if he needs to, he can track whoever the number one guy is. And that's what he did in this game. If Gabriel Bryan can do that, if he can handle one of those outside corner spots to free up Onyanwu, it's another thing that just makes this defense better. It makes it more versatile. Um, there's, there's way, way, way more to like about this defense than there is to be concerned about at this point. Very interested to see how they handle themselves against Air Force, because I think they have been about as good as you could hope for through these first two games. Yeah, and I also think, you know, in that secondary, there's maybe a concern that isn't really a concern, at least for me. Um, Idaho State moved the ball really well in the air. They picked up 323 yards passing um, they had 10 receivers catch balls and nine of them were, uh, they had the, their longest was over 10 yards. Yeah. Um, really kind of impressive if you, if you look at it, but it's also one of those things we knew that coming into this game, we, we knew that Idaho state was going to have explosive plays. We knew that they were going to have a lot of possessions. And so uh, you, you look at that, you look at some of those numbers and you think there might be something there. I, I don't know that there is because I do think, you know, that's we, – we knew that going into the game. They also were only able to move the ball 100 yards on the ground, so they were they were really putting the ball in the air a lot. Um, but I think that's to be expected. They had a lot of explosive plays, but we knew that was going to happen. Um, I will say just from uh, from like a, like a fan standpoint and just kind of watching this Idaho State team, nothing would make me happier for these guys than to watch them go 2-10 and 10 on the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, they, they do have some athletes, they have some athletes and they're having a lot of fun to your point last week, last year, they were not this year. They are, um, 
but yeah, no, nothing. There were no surprises in this in this Idaho State game. I think they came out and did. You know, they put the ball in the air. They had explosive plays, but we we only allowed them twenty eight points. So yeah, uh, not too concerned there. Yeah, and I, I think that, that is sort of some of that is is inextricable from the way that Utah State wants to play defense this season. There are going to be some big plays. They're aggressive. They are what they want to do more than anything is create those havoc plays, which they're creating. It would be tackles for loss, sacks, fumbles, forced interceptions, and passes defended. They're defending a ton of passes. I would say just as a as a note, they are like I think thirteenth nationally, something like that. They're they're right outside the top ten in passes defended uh, to this point. They are trying to make plays. That's what this defense wants to do. Is it wants to force offenses to take more snaps, to give them more opportunities to get interceptions, to get fumbles, to get tackles in the backfield, to make those plays. And the the you know the risk when you do that is that you are opening yourself up to those explosive plays. Um, Idaho State had a 6% explosive uh, play rate in this game. Utah State will take that every time. Uh, you, you're going to give up a couple. Some of them might lead directly to scores, as they did in this game. But if you can hold it to around 6%, the Utah State's big plays have made up for that and will make up for that moving forward. That's the goal of the defense. It's not going to be, you know, uh, it's not going to be just stuffing them every single play. It's not going to be just just stifling. It's not really the way that, like, you know, Iowa would be a good comparison. They're not playing how Iowa plays. Utah State wants to create havoc, wants to create mistakes with this defense and is a, is an active participant in it rather than just wanting to sit back and and win those matchups one-on-one. That's the way that they have to play defense. They have to try and do this, and there are going to be explosive plays, but if Utah State is creating more, it will usually win the games. That's that's the key for the defense more than anything. I think they're doing that pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, and I think, uh, you know, it's it's hard to tell what we're looking at with this Bengals team, but uh, I really like the style and the brand of defense they're rolling out. Yeah. Uh, it'll be really fun to see what it is when it's not against Iowa or Idaho State or, or even Air Force, let's be honest. Like, I, yeah. what I'm really excited for is to see the defense up against JMU and beyond. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really pleased with what I've seen so far. Yep. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about special teams briefly? I have I really just have the one note that um, we missed two extra points, which is uh, uncharacteristic. If you're a team that can score 78 points, you shouldn't be missing extra points. Yeah. I think Elliot Rim, not uh, Elliot Nimrod missed one like flat out. And then I think we muffed another yes. uh, muff snap or a fumble. Yeah. There not, were, there was I mean, one it's, miss it's not, not then, an emergency, but a little yeah. bit weird for sure. It is a little bit weird. Um, William Testa was, I, I think mostly, I don't know if he played at all. Uh, he was mentioned today at the press conference as, being dinged up i guess he got rolled up on on a kick or something um and so uh nimrod i believe did hit his yeah he hit his only field goal try from 37 yards out but did miss the extra point um which is yeah it's it's worrying i don't think he's the better of the two short distance kickers i would imagine that they would greatly prefer to have testa for those and if he's healthy he will be the one doing that um but it is still you know you have the bad snap or the, or the muff snap i don't know who that was on um it's it's something you'd want to clean up i think the special teams was otherwise pretty solid this was a better game from Stephen Cotsonley. they had two downed inside the 20 the coverage was better as well um not a ton going from the return group other than robert briggs one for 50 he got the opportunity and did not waste it he doesn't usually get to return kicks um and then uh just a kind of funny moment at the end of the game 
uh, with Ryan Marks kicking off. I think he accidentally kicked an onside kick at the end of this one. From what I could see, it looked like it was just a bad kick that Utah State happened to recover. I don't imagine that Blake Anderson was intentionally dialing up an onside kick up by 50 against an FCS opponent with a minute (laughs) left to play. I think that was probably uh, unintentional. Yeah, yeah, I think that was probably unintentional. Um, I would hope. Yeah, overall, though, I, yeah, I, I would hope. Um, I do think, yeah, for the most part, it was uh, nothing really notable on special teams. The one return was great by Briggs. I think that kind of forced, I think, because that was right there at the end of the second quarter, I think they mm-hmm. just wanted to, to get the ball back and down it and go into halftime, but uh, Briggs kind of forced your hand to kick a field goal there, so he did score uh, one more time when I don't think Blake was, was too eager to. Um, but then, yeah, I, I do think the one fumbled uh, PAT, was that on Ike Larson's pick six? Is that how I'm remembering it? Um, I don't know. Let me look. It, it all, I'm going to be honest, when a team scores 78 points, they all kind of run together a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. It was going up to 34. Yes, it was on Ike Larson's. Uh, That's what I, yeah. Well, the, the, okay. that was the fumble. Yeah, that was the, the muffed one. The miss was much later on. Um, that yes. was, yeah, that was yeah. in the fourth quarter on the Cooper Jones touchdown run. They missed that. Yeah. I remember the, the Ike Larson pick six one. I, it, yeah, it was where it was fumbled. And I wonder if it was just, I mean, even, even as a fan sitting in the stands, it was, it was kind of a chaotic minute and a half where I didn't know what was going on. And then yeah. suddenly our, our field or our PAT, you know, was coming off the field. So I wonder if there was maybe just a, a they weren't ready to get back on the field. Cause yeah, I don't know. It, it looked weird. Um, it's weird to, miss or you know miss out on two pats but you know it's something to maybe watch for um, in the coming weeks um that's all i really had uh there were a couple more penalties i think that's got to be really frustrating for blake i can imagine that was drilled at practice into the you know he was probably drilling that into his players all week don't do stupid stuff Mm -hmm. um they mostly they mostly avoided it i I think anakam and gao had one um it was uh it was four for 35 on the day it's improvement it's still not perfect the false starts are frustrating i think they had one or two of those um but uh it it was better you know it's it's uh it's a work in progress for sure yeah it was much better um especially the uh i think there was only one uh, unnecessary roughness or late yeah. hit right if i'm yeah so uh definitely improvement that's that's more where i'd want to be rather than uh where we were last week we are going into a game next week where uh you know we'll talk about in the, the preview where penalties will uh yeah. you can't have can't extra penalties against air force because because uh, they they don't make them so no uh, we'll talk <laughs> about that this week but i mean that's all i had on on kind of the game just really overall uh, all three units, offense, defense, special teams, so much to like on all three. Definitely a few question marks on, on all three of those units, but way more good than bad. Yep. Very, I'm very optimistic at this point in the season. Yep, I would agree with all of that. My last note is just uh, a little uh, thing that I see in the box score that I like. There was a referee in this game named Cornelius. That's good. I like that name. I like a, ma- a man named Cornelius. Not with an O, it's with a great- U. Kern Elias. Yeah, that's, that's a great name. Love that's that. Awesome. I've never seen that before. <laughs> I, I hope that's I not a typo. Seen. I hope he's actually named Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the most tragic typo of all time. Yeah, yeah Cornelius <laughs> is... That is a fantastic football that, name. That's yeah, really that's good. great. Love that. That's shout, a good ref name. Shout out to uh, to umpire Cornelius Arnick. God, I hope that's your name. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to have to look that up. Um, that's all I've got as well. We will see you all back here later this week on the preview show for Air Force. Parker, anything else? That's it. Um, I'm excited for next week. Go Aggies.